listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to the GGTMC. Yes. I'm back. <laughs> right. How's everybody doing? This is episode 219, I believe, of the GGTMC. I am the samurai across the border from me, my good pal, Big Willie. Yo. And uh, this week, we have our Diabolic DVD-sponsored episode. A couple of uh, rom-coms we're going to talk about this week. Yeah. Uh, Cast, cast Away. <laughs> yeah. And How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah. <laughs> and these two films are heavily cast uh, female films <laughs> with female themes. No. Okay. So this week we are doing uh, uh, The Great Walter Hill's Southern Comfort from 1981. Like I say, courtesy of uh, Diabolic DVD. And this is the uh, region, I think it's region 2 Blu-ray. Yep. And uh, The Big Gun Down. Also on Blu-ray, directed by one Sergio Salima, 1966, Southern Comfort being 81. Uh, that's a, also, uh, go ahead. Sorry, also Region B. Yes. This is a German release, three-disc set. It's really nice. Wunderbar. Yeah. And uh, can't wait to talk about these two films. Set, like I said, decided to, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, we, we, we do too many male-dominated films. Let's try some more, you know... <laughs> Put a little estrogen in the show, yo. Yeah. I don't know if there's one single cell of estrogen in Lee Van Cleef. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> All right, so that is what we are covering. Um, let's get into what we've been watching. I have quite a bit, so I just want to get right into it. And uh, let's, let's see what you've been watching, Will. Yeah. Um, okay, so I watched... Uh, you know, cram jams in full effect. So, you know, time to be coy Roy to a degree. Uh, I watched yeah. Soy Cheng's Motorway. <laughs> yeah, that's, which a, was, that's the funny thing is the coyness that's going to happen here. Just to give everybody a heads up, Will and I don't like to tell each other what's going to be on our top 30s. So we like to play games with each other. So. <laughs> Precisely. Um, Motorway was a film that I, you know, being a big, 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 big Milky Way guy with Johnny Teller's films and, um, Oh, goodness, his creative partner. Sorry, it's been a really rough night, everyone. If I'm off my game, uh, forgive me. I'm going to be even more absent-minded than usual. And I'm drinking tea this morning because my stomach's upset. So oh, yeah. Higgins and Burke, English breakfast tea, yo. Nice. So, yeah, that's the good thing about the Keurig. You can do cider. You can do sweet tea as an aside to you. Sweet. Uh, but anyway, motorway. Soi Chang, um, Milky Way, it was kind of, it's, you know, a lot of car, it's car porn, basically. Uh, cops and robbers. Uh, you know, it was good. It uh, it wasn't quite. I expected it to be top ten of the year. It's probably not there, but uh, you know, there's some there's some good stuff in it. Um, did I say on the air that I'd watched? Yeah, I did. Oh, here we are. I watched. Did I tell you I watched after Porn Ends? Yeah, you told me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was. Oh, but that's the thing off the air. Uh, good stuff. The stuff with Randy West was my favorite, as we did talk about off the air. Um, I watched Toy Story 3 Blu-ray, Movie Night with the Boys. Um, I was just 
blown away by this. Um, in the context of having kids and in the context of being involved with and invested, having seen all three Blu-rays within the last month, um, this one knocks out of the park. I can't believe a third film for me is the best in the series. Um, it's a rare feat. And I cried uh, at a moment when they're all holding hands at one point. I don't want to say any more than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really great stuff. It is as fine a film as the medium will produce, in my opinion. Um, then I decided to stick with a tender animated film and did um, uh, Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt, uh, James Gandolfini. Uh, it was an interesting film, certainly. Um, and then I decided to watch a film that you know how I feel about, but our listeners don't. And I'm not going to go into it too much, but that's Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and fuck it, I'm going to say it, actually. I was very underwhelmed, and he's become too fixated on his aesthetic the film left me cold. The kids' performances were, and no, by no fault of theirs, because they were fine, but the way they were written was akin to the Japanese actors speaking English in Sukiyaki Western Django. <laughs> there was a disconnect emotionally with what they were saying. Bruce Willis was the best part of the film for me, uh, a letdown for me, considering I adore Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, you know, it is what it is. But uh, mm-hmm. it's funny that you did bring up Sukiyaki Western Django, but uh, because now that I think about it, it's it's, it's kind of like that for me. I really love the aesthetic and yeah, everything else. It's just there's so much of it I didn't care for. Yeah, you know, he's become more and more fixated on his dollhouse and having his his living breathing dolls uh, do Wes Anderson things and be immersed and dressed in Wes Anderson things. You know, mm-hmm. a good looking film though. Perhaps my favorite aesthetic of any film this year. Oh yeah, gorgeous. So. Yeah. Uh, then I did The Imposter, which is a documentary that Bryn first brought to my attention at Sundance, ironically, last year. Uh, pretty good stuff, man. It's kind of got an, an Errol, I was going to say an Errol Flynn, an Errol Morris um, type <laughs> vibe because there's some re- recreation of scenes. And um, it's, it's you know, it, the, the saying truth is stranger than fiction is never more apparent than this documentary. Yeah, that one's on the uh, on the old Sammy list to get... Uh to get yeah. watched should be on everyone's list to see uh if if even if it's not a cram type thing because it is a wild story that you really can't believe is is you know yeah reality um then i decided to do a film that everyone's been jerking off over for months it seems <laughs> um and that's dread jerking so. off over dread yeah. How how'd you uh, know I jerked off when I watched Dread? Well, I did, so I knew you would. Yeah. What do no. you think, rookie? <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> it uh it was good. It feels a bit cheap nineties hacker aesthetic in spots for me. Yeah. But uh I wonder what the budget was on that. I'm gonna look it up while we're talking about it here. Uh, I'm gonna guess ten to twenty million to you know, somewhere in there. I'm gonna guess thirty. Thirty sounds right. Really sounds right. It'll be yeah. I'm gonna up mine and say twenty to thirty. But it's uh, you know, it's a good film for whoa, sure. Whoa, fifty. Fifty, really? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what's considered a low budget film nowadays. How is it? Looper was thirty, and Looper looks better than this film. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking. Well, I mean, I don't know anything about this Pete Travis guy. I do know Ryan Johnson can stretch a dollar. So, 
Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, brick looked great, and it was super, super cheap, right? So. Yeah, fucking pennies, man. Um, but no, Dread's a good one. Um, you know, nice to see Carl Urban uh, in the starring role, and uh, Thrillby was good. So, yeah. Pretty, pretty, I have to, and I'll talk about it a little bit when I get to it, pretty brave to for Carl Urban to do a film and just let the character be the, I mean, I, I don't know if I've seen a film in quite some time where an actor doesn't take a helmet off. You know what the last one was? What was that it? I can think of? Also a comic book film. Also a comic book film about a totalitarian state and very right wing in its sort of fascist sentimentality. At least uh, the other film was the opposite. It was uh, it was a commentary on the fascist totalitarian state we're headed towards, and that's V for Vendetta. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're which, right. Which which weaving knocks out of the park in that one, despite yeah. wearing a mask the whole film, a full face mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of speaking of some. I forget. <laughs> yeah, that is a, a Zom look. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite a fan of that film. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, then uh, Family Movie Night came back around, and it was kind of my pick. You know, I like to sometimes sneak ones in because the kids need a man with good taste in their lives. Um, we did Stuart Little, the Blu-ray. I'd heard good things when I was kind of, uh, you know, trolling the waters, and it was on sale dirt cheap Black Friday. So, uh, so we watched it. I'd obviously never seen it. It's a good little film, man. It's... Um, it's got a pretty good uh, production design, nice eye and attention to detail. Um, the only disturbing thing was having that motherfucker Jeffrey Jones in it, and it's a kid's film. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, but uh, but it's a cute little film. Michael J. Fox's voice is perfect for Stuart. Um, it was hilarious because there's a, a game on the disc you can play because it's a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And, of course, my wife and I ended up in, like, the throes of deep competition trying to finish the game. <laughs> You know, it's just all you do is you move the controller left and right to, to guide Stuart's little boat through a boat race. Yeah. And, of course, you know, it started out, let's let the kids play. And then it's like, well, we're going to help the kids to kids hang on. Mommy and daddy are playing. Yeah. You know, until until I had to take the kids to bed. My wife feels up. I beat it. So that's my, how my wife my, my son and I, my son's starting to uh, want to play games because I play games. And uh, just to kind of give everybody a little talk, uh, I'm a competitive gamer myself. <laughs> Uh, so he'll play games and, uh, you know, first of all, it gives me anxiety because, you know, he's learning to play games, which means, uh, he doesn't really play games. He's kind of goose off with it and stuff, but then I'll get the controller and I'm like, let me try. And I'll get the controller and I'll start playing and he'll say, well, let me try. And I'll be like, well, hang on a second. Just one second. Hang on a second. You know, and there's yeah. this constant back and forth. <laughs> hang on a second. One second. Hang on. Almost there. Almost done. And he, you know, he gets irritated and I'm like, oh, yeah. which one of us is the child here? That's what I keep thinking to myself. <laughs> I'll tell you what, within three years, he's going to be whipping your ass six ways to Sundays. He's already, man, like in two weeks, he's figured out stuff that I didn't even, I never even showed him. I'm yeah, like, they oh, approach him with an, an orthodox, you know, mm-hmm. lack of a filter that enables them to pick stuff up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what it was with me, man, with my dad back in the day, Commodore 64. Nice. Playing, uh, what is that game, Karateka? Karateka. Oh, yeah, Karateka. Yeah, I remember you that. You know. And it was that, or it was like the uh, the World Games or something. But anyway, my dad, you know, I would be a poor sport because I would lose, and my dad would let me win until one day he said, "I was like, he's got to have a dose of homo pie." And by that point, he couldn't beat me. So, <laughs> yeah, be <laughs> you know. careful there. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, it was true. There was a cute little film, though. Um, you know, then- I have a history with that film. I, I watched that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I watched that film, I was breaking up with the girl I was dating. I went to the movie with her to see that. I was breaking up with her, and two weeks later, I met my wife. 
Oh, nice. Pretty pretty crazy when I think about that movie. Oh, so you know what I'm talking about with the, the boat race scene. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a good little scene. William was actually, yeah, he was, you know, vocally involved. It was, mm-hmm. it was it's, a, it's a cute little film. Um, then I decided to stick with this film comparable to Stuart Little and I did uh, uh, John Hillcoat's Lawless. <laughs> nice little double there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a good film. It's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little more, it's a little, a little underwhelming. Yeah. It might be in the top 30, but with a cast like that, you could cut that cast in half and still have an amazing cast and an amazing director. The violence, it, violence by Hillcoat is amongst the best violence in film, but, yes. uh, yes. you know, whatever, you know, we'll see if it pops up. Um, do a Tom Hardy in Britain. Mm. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Guy Pierce owns it in that, though. Yeah, he really is good in it. He, uh, yeah. He's really good. And uh, I do got to say, Shia, I said it, man, and I, I'm glad that I feel it's come to pass. Before this year, I said, everyone, people are going to start digging on Channing Tatum. Not everyone, but a lot more eyes <laughs> are going to be open, and people are going to start digging on Shia LaBeouf, and I'm glad I've been vindicated on both of those. I'll, I'll talk about it more when I get around to what I've been watching, but I'll, here's what I'll say. Among the uh, three brothers, uh, Shia is the best actor in the film. Yeah, he has a good performance. And, you know, yeah. you really feel the stuff with the two, with him and his young friend, because that's a very real relationship where the younger guys go off and do their thing because the older brothers can't really be bothered. Yeah, cricket, cricket. Cricket. And cricket, you kind of get, you feel, you'll, you know, you feel for cricket. Yeah. And then you get your heart stomped on but um <laughs> then speaking of hearts i decided to do care bears the movie with my kids <laughs> more accurately william decided to um oh i've skipped one i skipped one little birds with juno temple oh, yeah. a she of dark crystal fame you know not a bad film um very indie precocious mm-hmm. uh it won't make my list she's good in it you know i think there's some kid from a boy band in it who's actually kind of good but you know it's not a, there's actually a few faces you recognize, but, um, I, you know, it's a six for me. You know, girl, good kind of coming of age. She's from the Salton Sea. Her and her friend run off to L.A. and end up with three street punk kids, and shit Ooh. gets real. Yeah, it sounds, uh, that sounds a little indie precocious. It does. It does. <laughs> Whenever they come from the Salton Sea, I'm wary. Yeah. And that's usually, I like, I think that's an interesting setting if done well, but it becomes, yeah. You know, that thing of, um... Almost talking down at while fetishizing the misery of the people in the Salton Sea. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Care Bears movie. Man, talking as a nerd cinephile. I don't, actually, I don't like to call myself a nerd. I'm not going to say. I'm redacted. <laughs> talking as a cinephile. Uh, the voice work by the, the spirit, the evil spirit, like the main bad girl, I guess. Not bad guy, bad girl in the Care Bears movie is really good. Yeah, that movie's bizarre in some ways. It is it is bizarre. It is bizarre, man. But, uh, you know, I had fun with it, man. It's it's a bit wacky and weird and took me back to my childhood. I never owned a Care Bear. Never really had an interest in it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, took me back. I'm glad William wanted to watch it. So that was that. Uh, then I decided to do sort of a left field cram. Uh, I did The Salt of Life, which is an Italian comedy. It's kind of a wistful comedy about a man who's older. He's retired. And he kind of, he's not really feeling loved or desired and he's feeling a little bit, he's feeling his age and he goes about trying to maybe have an affair or just, you know, a little bit of, um, he, he tries to feel wanted again by women mm-hmm. and it, it's a pretty sweet, wistful comedy. It's, it's, you know, certainly hints, 
the director is also the star, and um, what's his name Johnny Di Gregorio, and uh, he's good in it, and um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. There's some pretty funny stuff in it. I think anyone who's getting older would appreciate this film. You know, as guys, some of the bullshit him and his friends, you know, talk about their glory days and stuff. It's a good film. It's on Netflix. Instant. I think it's called The Salt of Life. You know, not a great film, but it's it's good. It's sweet. Um, then I did uh, Casa de mi Padre. Yeah. How is this With, film, by the way? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm still wrestling around. It's, um, it is to Mexican 80s films what Grindhouse is to, with like, what Death Proof and Planet Terror are to their uh, genres as far as homage goes. There's in, There's intentional bad editing, intentional sort of, um, how can I word it? Like, there's certain cult, like lines in the film that feel very, um, steeped in like 80s Mexican films like you could see it being actually said in an 80s Mexican film huh. um, I, I think it was an interesting um, an interesting uh, project for Will Wilfrail to do a film all in Spanish it might make my list truth be told I don't know yet because there's times when I got annoyed with the joke it's like a you know a 10 minute skit that runs on too long yeah. but, but there's other times when I was I was pretty charmed by it so you know I still got to toss it around and I still got about 30 minutes left of it interesting but, uh, but yeah, Will Ferrell coming back after years out of my heart. Um, then I did Chicken with Plums, which is uh, stars Matthew Emmerich, a uh, famous French actor. Um, this was the follow-up to, um, I can't remember her name, Satrapi, who did Persepolis. She okay. was the woman that made Persepolis about her life. Right, right. So she co-directed Persepolis with uh, someone, and this was their follow-up film. And this, to me, was the French version of Moonrise Kingdom this year. Oh, okay. Beautiful looking film, but I just could not get engaged, and I adore Persepolis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, a little disappointing. I was hoping it was going to be one I could drop on people. You know, you want to find a few gems to drop on people during the top 30, but sadly it wasn't one. Uh, then I did uh, a film that kind of was early in the year, and everyone was kind of, it was a hot button kind of film. A lot of people loved it, some people didn't. I know you were lukewarm on it, uh, but I felt I had to at least cram it, do my due diligence, and that was The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw this last night before I went to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I liked it. Um, okay, cool. I have some problems with it, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I, Whedon's cute, snappy dialogue really fucking bothers me. <laughs> and I hate that you know people just celebrate his dialogue. It's, it's overtly showy and snappy for me. Um, but I feel like it's a genuinely heartfelt... Um, Love letter to horror films. And, you know, I, I, I was happy watching it. You know, mm -hmm. whether we're going to make the top three or not, tough to say. I mean, I, I, there are some problems I had with it. But, yeah. you know. Uh, next up is a film that's on VOD. It should be on Blu-ray in April. And I think it's weirdly getting a, a theater release sometime this month. Uh, and I would encourage everyone to go see it. Because it's a fun film. It's a film that I had very high hopes for when it uh, came out, or when I saw the trailer, and then it just kind of got some mixed reviews, but I think it's because there was a bad gut of it at Sundance last year, and that's John Dies at the End. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to, it's on my list too, to uh, watch. Good, good. I'd be curious to see what you think. It's, uh, it's a pretty... That's somebody else. That's a director also who can stretch a dollar, Don Coscarelli. Big time. <clears throat> Coscarelli, when we talk about the really good to great genre filmmakers of the past 30 plus years yeah, 40 yeah. almost 40 years really because phantasm was like 81 or something yeah he gets over 80. he gets overlooked a lot 
He does, and he shouldn't because I'll tell you, he's a guy that combines as much as I loathe horror comedy because it's yeah. done so poorly. He's a guy that does it well consistently. Yeah, yeah, he always has done it pretty well. I mean, I've always enjoyed just about everything he's done. So, yeah, and me he, too. We got to remember, he's also the director of The Beastmaster. That's right, man. <laughs> Yeah. Right. yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, it's on my list to watch. Cool. So that's my list. This was two weeks because we had the week off last week. Right, right. But, uh, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive there. Uh I've also done some cramming, so you guys are gonna hear a lot of buzz films here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Um let's see here. We'll start with Beast of the Southern Wild. Oh nice. Um this film is gorgeous. I have to say that, first of all. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I had some issues with it. Yes, indeed. So uh, some of the acting is really good stuff. Some of the hard stuff is really heartfelt, though. Um, and just uh, it's 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 really it's it's imaginative. That's the best word I can use for it. I, I was mm-hmm. just really impressed with the imagination of the film. And again, stretching a dollar, first time filmmaker. This this yeah. Ben Zeitlin's definitely one to watch. No doubt, no doubt about that. I then uh, watched something else, low budget. I checked out uh, the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> Super low budget film, another Tom Hardy. Uh, Hardy, I said Hardy. Tom Hardy uh, voice acting. Uh, although I will admit his voice in The Dark Knight Rises is much better than uh, the one in uh, Lawless. I, don't <laughs> I, I love his Dark Knight voice. Yeah, a lot you know, of people I, hate it. No, I, I, I it. didn't mind it. Uh, I didn't mind it that much. I didn't. My bigger problem with him was is that uh, other, outside of a couple character things, he didn't do a whole lot. He just kind of stood there. Ooh, I can't agree with that. <laughs> I feel like all he did was hold his lapels on his jacket. And then oh. and walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I do. Maybe that's why I'm so behind the performance. Yeah, man. yeah you got so. my fucking three quarter length shearling on, yo, right now. <laughs> of course, my other big problem is I am not a fan of the Bane character at all. I read the comic for years and just do not care for the Bane character. So, well, you were, you were longing for the days of Jeep Svensson. Uh, yes, I like a little uh. Jeep Svensson. <laughs> like the uh, the big com. I like the big comic book look. But uh, yeah. I, I did like him in the film, though. Uh, it's just you know it's it's unfortunate. The mask takes up a good majority of a very charismatic face, mm-hmm. and I just felt like I missed some stuff in there. Um, the film is is uh, interesting. Uh, I don't like it as much as I like the other two, but uh, mainly that's because no one has this. Now for the last two films, he has this propensity to explain things over and over and over again. I don't know what's going on there. But I feel like in this film, I think he explains the bomb about four times, and I'm like, dude, I got it the second time. Yeah, you know what it is. I think the problem is he puts heady stuff in his films, and if he wants to make intelligent films for the masses on a grand scale, mm-hmm. he has to be overly expository. And I, I don't, I, I would agree that that's a criticism. It did not bother me at all. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. And I think you may have said this. I, I'll be forthright and say I was totally blindsided by it. Did you see the twist coming? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Not really. It's one of those twists that uh, it did surprise me, but at the same time, I was like, oh, okay, I see where you're going here. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, no, the twist was okay. Um, it, it's, it, there's some, some weird decisions about characters in there. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I'm sorry, he's, he's got some of the worst dialogue. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Uh, like, all the like, cops are locked up. Yeah, all but one. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. Yeah. Seriously? Did- didn't again didn't bother me but I, you know teach their own it, yeah. it, I, I could see it being a gripe for sure i think some of his stuff has to be peter Pureheart because of what they're um transitioning into mm-hmm. character wise right because they have to have a bit of a ray of sunshine amidst the bleakness but 
that's a very fair criticism. Yeah, yeah. There's some weird decisions, but it is a good film. It is a good film. It was entertaining. I did. I do think it's too long, but uh, I thought the same thing in The Dark Knight. So I just feel like you know, cut some stuff out, Joe. Yo, just cut it out. But uh, use your battery. There's also a foreshadowing moment. I won't even bring it up because if I do, it'll give away something. But there's also a foreshadowing thing that's reminded me of Inception a little bit, and it's uh, and it's clumsiness for me. Just mm. I was like, ooh, I see that. I see something coming here. I'll just say it involves a restaurant, mm-hmm. and this just happens way too early. Um, then I watched the uh, the master of the honky tonk, but donk a donk, little killer Joe. Nice. Uh, well, we could see uh, Matthew McConaughey's rather large ass. And K Fry C. And yeah, and some K Fry C. He's a little. Uh, it's in. I watched this on Blu-ray, so uh, or actually an HD transfer. I watched the unrated cut through iTunes. Uh, Matthew McConaughey might want to get some creams. He had a couple bumps on his ass. Um, that's the great thing about high definition. Or maybe not. Um, the Killer, Killer Joe's interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, I know Miles just watched it recently, too. And uh, he says he, you know, he, he kind of said the same thing. You know, don't, don't know really how to feel about it after it's over. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting. It is interesting. I had uh, some issues again. I had some issues with it. And I think I talked to you about this on the phone about. Sometimes how a director, uh, you know, I had a couple moments where I was like, okay, we're trying to stay relevant, but there is some really disturbing stuff in here. And, uh, and I did tell you, and I will say this on the air, Gina Gershon, who doesn't, who hasn't really gotten a lot of notice for this film, uh, outside of the controversy of the things she does, but her performance is insane and, uh, really a standout in the movie. Yeah. Her and Thomas Hayden Church, I think both, I feel both have been, um, uh, under or overlooked um, because they're both very good. Everyone's good in it with Hirsch being the weakest link. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's good in it. You're right. They could have, the town heavy could have been better. I think I mean, you talked about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, fuck. I never remember that guy's name. We, we had said he's, he's the guy they get when they can't get yeah. uh, the iron side. Yeah. Yeah. So, but a good film though. Good film. Yeah. And I definitely, like you, I recommend check out the unrated cut. Don't check out mm-hmm. the other uh, cut. Uh, then I, Changed tunes, went to Bernie, little Bernie action. This one had popped up on a couple of top 20 lists for the end of the year and, and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, Jack Black. I mean, I like him. And, you know, sometimes he, he tires me out, but I do find him very charismatic. And uh, But then I, you know, was doing research on it or just kind of looking around. And I was like, oh, it's a Linklater film. I, I didn't, I forgot about that. So that made me kind of kick it up. And it was on instant. So I checked it out. Pretty good little movie. Not bad. It's kind of a fall documentary type film. Which is interesting, nice. And uh, but then, like after a certain point, it kind of ditches that a little bit. So it, it's just an interesting uh, little movie. Uh, good performances. Shirley MacLaine doesn't really do a whole lot in it, but uh, she is interesting in what she does do. Matthew McConaughey again, another good performance. It's been the year of McConaughey. McConaughey's in that too. Yeah, he's in that one too. Holy kickity kick, Barbara hat trick, man. Yeah, he's in, in that. Ma- this, Mike, this year he's this. in Magic Mike, Killer Joe. Bernie and another one I'm trying to cram for the end of the year, the paper boy, the, uh, Oh, I really want to see that too. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. The Lee Daniels film. So yeah, get, get to see, uh, get to see Shia get his face pissed on while <laughs> Nicole Kidman sits on it. Yeah. That's so, the only reason I want to see. It. Yeah. So he's in that film too. So, I'm, <laughs> you know, it's been the year of the McConaughey, like we're saying the next year he's in the Jeff Nichols film. So mud. Yeah. He's really yeah, taking off. Right on. About time. Uh, then I watched uh, I watched Dread as well. Uh, watched it on Blu-ray. It was gorgeous. It was I'll say that as far as the actual clarity of the picture, I do agree that some of it looks cheap. Um, 
I did enjoy the film. I mean, people are saying, you know, it feels like a ripoff of the raid and stuff like that. I mean, come on. It's one thing. First of all, I don't, outside of the basic premise, it doesn't feel like the raid at all to me because there's hardly any fighting. It's all gun shooting. Uh, uh, but I, I, I do think it is the raid. They have to work their way up the building and yeah. instead of instead of fighting its guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I do feel that, but I don't feel it has any of the energy of the raid. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. The basic premise is the same, but it has none of that energy. Uh, uh, it has um, it, it has a very negative slant to it and a very you know pessimistic look at things, which yeah, I kind of liked and. Uh, I do. I, I do admit. I mean, I, I, I'm always a bigger fan of these uh, B comic book films, anyway, because that's kind of where my heart is, is with the B comic book characters, and I like them when they feel more like a comic book. Um, this one felt more like a comic than uh, like the Dark Knight, which doesn't really feel like a comic to me. It just feels like an action movie. But yep. this one, you know, it felt like it existed in its world, and I, I, I did like that bit of it. And they were consistent with the world, so. And I think too with those B comics, as it were, they have more creative license to be darker, grittier, nastier, and take little more chances that you know we want to see as as adults who like comics. Right, right. Um, I watched the documentary Everything or Nothing, the only one James Bond. I was in the mood for a documentary. Didn't really. I've seen a lot of them that were on Netflix. So, and then Bren put it on there. There's this Everything or Nothing, which is one I wanted to check out. It's pretty much a. Uh, it's not really a in-depth documentary a whole lot but i mean it kind of goes into like the producers a little bit and stuff i don't know maybe in-depth is maybe it is in-depth i can't really think but it, it it it's pretty good i mean it's, it's not bad at all it's um interesting if you don't know anything about james bond you'll find it probably more interesting than if you do know anything about james bond so there's that uh i, I will say that the the story of george lazenby is 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 hilarious because uh, his whole thing of getting in james bond film is literally uh, almost like a total accident and the balls on this guy to go for the james bond role when he had no acting really and nothing he just said you know he wanted to be james bond he he was for one film so pretty That's interesting cool. great story um <clears throat> let's see what i watch after that couple movies for the film oh watch looper Looper oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, we talked about the dollar stretching and pretty impressive. I felt like my only problems with Looper, and I think I told you this on the phone, was that it felt like it started a little slow. Mm-hmm. But uh, once it got going, once it once I found the narrative hook I needed, it it really kind of grabbed on to me a little bit, and uh, you know, I grabbed onto it a little bit emotionally as well, and I was pretty impressed with it. I have to admit, uh, pretty interesting science fiction type stuff. The time travel element is not, outside of some theories and ideas, it's not super prevalent in the film, which is another thing I liked. And it does have a kind of a noir feel, too, which, you know, Ryan Johnson obviously did well with Brick. And I never saw the Brothers Bloom, so I don't know how that goes. But I did see, you know, Brick, and that, that that's obviously a take on noir completely. This oh, one yeah. still has those elements, which I still kind of like. <clears throat> he, yes. writes, he writes that pretty good. Yeah, he does. He clearly loves the material and knows the material. Mm-hmm. He does. Um, then took a break from cramming, watched The Great Escape, which is uh, Stephen Queen, Charles Bronson, and numerous others, James Coburn, James Garner, blah, blah, blah. Brown. Yeah. You name it, they're all in there. Um, the uh, I just I just felt like watching something fun, and uh, it's a fun film. You know, serious subject, but a fun film. I always say it's the most fun World War II film because, you know, it's even though it has some serious subject matter and stuff, and it's just it's just got this kind of raucous type atmosphere to it, so it's a lot of good, it's a real good film. 
then I watched Lawless, which I just watched Friday night. I watched a couple films Friday night. And, uh, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I agree with you. The violence, Hillcoat shoots it great. Uh, there's some great scenes in it. I like the scene with the... Uh, the prostitute running down the street with her shirt torn open. Oh yeah, that scene was really good because you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. You you really feel how Shia feels in that moment. Yeah, because it's a total what the fuck moment. Jesus, you know? yeah. And there's some uh, you know some stuff that uh, Guy Pierce does, which is disturbing. And uh, yeah, you know, there's some some great machismo going there. Um, Tom Hardy, like I say, you know, he's 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 got some interesting choices in this one. He does, but. Uh, I had I had fun. With, I mean, the performances are all pretty good, but I, I I do think that of the brothers, Shia LaBeouf really. First of all, he's got the media role, but well, not the media role, but he definitely has the emotional role, and uh, but he does but he does handle himself pretty well, and you know, he's he, in some high high company there, and he yeah he puts himself well, man. Yeah, he's going to be one of these actors I think that's going to have trouble getting past his boyish looks for some time too, but he is you know a talented kid, so. He is, and I'll tell you, he he took the chance by um, doing that. Oh no, it's not him. It's fucking Zac Efron that gets his face pissed on in the Paperboy. Yeah, but you know, you know why I mix that up? Because speaking of LaBeouf, he's doing the next Lars von Trier film where there's apparently going to be actual, like, penetrative sex yeah. between actors in it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to saran wrap it, Shia. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, I watched The House I Live In. This is a documentary about the uh, drug problem in, in America, the war on drugs. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, you know, uh, makes a strong argument for the legality of drugs and how much it would avoid and how much the drugs have cost American people. I think it's cost us uh, as taxpayers about a trillion dollars, and drugs are more prevalent than they've ever been. Uh, I think of the four million people that are in prison in America, two point five are in prison for just having drugs on them, uh, which to me you shouldn't go to prison for. No, uh, that's my personal opinion. Um, but you know, whatever the case, and um, yeah, actually, but just to get a little some of my political, my personal opinion is if if you sell them, you shouldn't go to jail for fucking 30 years but whatever yeah. uh so it's interesting it's interesting and it shows how the government is really in a lot of ways destroyed families and uh and they it's directed by one of the jarecki brothers now the jarecki brothers are interesting guys there's three of them and uh, one of them made capturing the freedmen's which is a great documentary another one made that arbitrage film which uh with uh richard gear richard Gere this year. yeah uh so they all three are talented filmmakers um and uh, it is interesting how they tie it to the Holocaust. And when you once you see the thread that they tie it to with like the Holocaust, it's pretty fucking phenomenal. Some of the ideas that are coming through there, because uh, you know they're basically saying we are living through a very slow Holocaust because of those two point five million that are on drugs, ninety eight percent or something like that are either African American or some other minority. Jeez. And you start to wonder. And police com- police departments in America and everything else, they're kind of centered on numbers. And you start to wonder if, you know, it's all just not a business. And then you get into the private prison market, which is fucking fascinating because, you know, if I'm somebody who has some money and I want to open a prison, I can make millions of dollars a year on a prison, but I got to have criminals to put in there. So people open a prison in a small town, and then all of a sudden that small town is inundated with drug arrest. Jesus, I can't believe that private prison market even exists. Oh no, it, it's huge. It's huge. Major money maker. That to the point to where they even have 
just like restaurant business, they have companies that sell silverware to the prisons. Yeah, they company. sell cots for prisons and stuff. Everybody's making money on it. Man, oh man, I can't blew my mind. Yeah, what's that called? The empty room? The house I live in. Oh, that, where did I get the empty fucking the empty head? More like <laughs> it with me. The house I live in. I gotta write that down. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's it's pretty fascinating. But what are you gonna do? Uh, as they say in Southern Comfort, just like a steel pussy. No, I, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. <laughs> All right, so we're going to, that's everything. So we're going to take a short break and uh, talk about, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about Southern Comfort first? Sure, let's do it. Let's talk about the steel pussy first. Right. We'll be right back with some Walter Hill. <laughs> People of Eternia, I stand before the great eye of the potosphere, chosen by destiny by the powers of Lipson. <laughs> this inevitable moment will transpire before your eyes, even as He-Man himself bears witness to it. Now I, Baby Skeletor, am master of the action attraction. Action Attraction, your home for all things action. To find out more, visit MetalMikey.Lipson.com or search for Action Attraction in iTunes. Amazing wordsmith there. Let me kill Mr. <laughs> so with a little killed by death. <laughs> so there you go. Wouldn't it wouldn't never mind. Death by never mind. I know it's a strange title for a song. But you know, I mean the first lines of the song if you squeeze my laser is what's still one of the greatest uh opening lines of any song in my opinion. That is, and Killed by Death would be a great uh, direct video action or title. Actually surprised it's not. <laughs> yeah, for real. All right. So our first film is Southern Comfort, nineteen eighty one, directed by one Walter Hill. Um you want to take the lead on this one? You want me to? I will, sure, that's cool. All right, all synopsis here. A squad of national guards on an isolated weekend exercise in the Louisiana swamp must fight for their lives when they anger local Cajuns by stealing their canoes. Uh, that's, well, I'll just keep it at that. The next line's kind of spoilery. So, uh, okay. So yeah, Walter Hill, 1981, a little Ryan score, a little slide guitar. <laughs> so you definitely know you're in Walter Hill territory. Oh yeah. So yeah. What, this is a revisit for uh, both of us. So, uh, yeah. what did you think? Uh, I love the revisit. Um, you know, uh, both of us are huge Walter Hill fans. Uh, yeah, I actually how... stated on my on my on the Facebook on the group 
that every time we revisit a Walter Hill film, I realize that for me, he's like one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Uh-huh. For me personally, I, I, no, I know. agree. He's, he's like a top ten favorite for me, man. Yeah, and he's up there for me too. I don't know if he'd be top ten or not, but he definitely is in the conversation. Yeah, maybe top twenty, but he's he's like you said he's in the conversation. But his themes and things just speak to me. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. for sure they do because he takes a lot of themes that, um, not to, not that we don't like westerns and and other period films, but he takes a lot of the themes that are prevalent in those and contemporizes them. Yes. Yes. Puts him in a contemporary setting. Um, yeah, so this was a rewatch for me, but full disclosure, this was a, a watch for my four-year-old son, William. Uh, uh, you know, he's really sick right now, and um, he just did fever, nothing, you know, terrible touch wood. But uh, he was up when I got home from work the other night. And, you know, Friday nights, usually when I cram, Saturday nights, when I do the two movies for the show. And he was up. And he wanted to lay on the couch with us because he wasn't feeling good. And maybe once every th- three months, maybe once every three, four months, you know, we'll either let him stay up to watch something with us that's appropriate if it's planned or in a situation like this. Um, you know, I had to kind of just, you know, if, if it was martyrs or something, he clearly wouldn't be. I would have waited. But, right. you know, figure well, he's got to become a man sometime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, he watched it with me. And other than... A scene involving a pig, which we'll probably talk about. Um, yeah. he, he was engrossed through the whole film. There was a lot of me explaining squibs, and these men were playing like you and dad do. And, um, you know, don't say that word, don't say this word. No, that word's off limits. I hope he doesn't go to school. I'm thinking in my head, oh, please don't go to school and say cocksucker, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was cool to, to watch a film, a Walter Hill film with my son. Uh, that was kind of cool, you know. Nice. It, it took me back to my like. I was thinking of you and I when we were kids watching Bronson and Return of the Living Dead and stuff. Yeah, probably not much older than that. So. Yeah, I'll check him out. He probably woke up the next day with chest hair. He did, man. <laughs> I had to pluck one out. So yeah, but no, he. Uh, you know, like I said, it wasn't ideal. I wouldn't be. I, I'm not certainly not going to make a habit of watching right, adult right. films with him. But right. it was an exception to the rule. So that was interesting. That was kind of cool they're, for me. You know, they're going to see some of that stuff anyway. If it's best, if they're going to see it with their parents, in my opinion. So, we can explain it and yes. contextualize it. Right. Um, so, yeah, man, Walter Hill. And Walter Hill has a great working relationship with Andrew Laszlo, the great DOP. Yes. Um, this film's really well shot, as always. Um, the setting is fantastic. The Louisiana Bayou, a lot of those, like, weeping willows. And, you know, really, really great-looking film. Ry Cooter, you talked about. Um, so it's got a great cinematographer, a great man to do the score, great director. And it's got a great cast. Yeah. Um Let's talk about the cast for a minute, you know, because it's got so many, so many great character actors in it. And none of these guys, none of these guys went on to be A-listers. Um, yeah, most of them, if anything, they're character actors, right? They're all, they're all <clears throat> character actors, but they're people, you know, the kind of cast that you and I dream about. Keith Carradine, Powers Booth, Fred Ward, Franklin Seals, T.K. Carter, Lewis Smith, who I told you, coincidentally, my son liked the best. Um had a gold tooth and a perm. He's a white boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lewis Smith is the most bizarre. When I was looking through his filmography, I was like, holy shit, that was him in Django Unchained. I don't think he has any dialogue in it, but he's one of uh, uh, Walter Goggins' uh, henchmen, I think. Yeah, yeah. But what's weird about that is, you know who he looks like? And even I wrote it down, and then five minutes later, my wife said it. You know who he totally looks like in this? Who? James Franco in Spring Breakers. He really does look like James Franco. Good call, man. It really does. Like it's, especially with the gold tooth. I was like, this guy is fucking Franco Spring Breakers. So, you know, it was wow. pretty cool. If, if I ever make a Lewis Smith 
documentary film or not documentary uh, bio yeah bio i'm casting james franco you have to it's unbelievable yeah it really is um peter coyote who uh shows up for a bit before <laughs> getting his wig split yeah, um yeah. alan autry who i isn't i don't really know him but i can tell you very interestingly he was drafted by the green bay packers he was a football player oh yeah 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 he's uh he he was uh real popular on that uh in the in the heat of the night tv show a little before my time yeah yeah, yeah. uh but uh he uh, he's been in quite a bit of stuff. Uh, he, he's he's a character actor. He's been in quite a bit of stuff. He'll come up again. He was in North Dallas Forty, if you remember. Oh yeah, I don't remember him in that, unfortunately. But you know, he's a guy that probably yeah worked a lot in the eighties and late seventies and stuff. Uh, Brian James, one of our favorites, the late great Brian James. <laughs> um, kill so him! The, kill him! Yeah, <laughs> doing this great French. Um, <laughs> one of our I don't know favorites is the right word, but showing up as a hunter with a pretty great mustache. Oh yeah, Kentucky's own Sonny Landham. <laughs> Fuck yeah, he bringing it. <laughs> yeah, man. He even looks sleazy when he's in costume. <laughs> Jesus, ever. And then a bunch of other people below that. So you know, a really great cast, yep. top to bottom. You know, these are this is the kind of thing you like to see because it's an ensemble where people that normally get marginalized by the A-listers or pushed to the side, they get to stretch their legs and we get to see them. I don't know if you got if everybody knows, but uh, if anybody's interested in that new uh, Schwarzenegger film, the Sonny Lanham's actually in that with him. Oh, very cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, which makes it more interesting for me. I've heard some bad things, by the way. So, I've heard yeah, some good heard, things too, though. So, yeah, same here. I probably won't go see it in theater. I'll wait for it. The only thing I'm worried about, I'm not worried about the actual filmmaking of the film. It's just more the acting of a certain actor in the film. Not Johnny, and not Johnny Knoxville. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, I was going to say, if Knoxville... Um, I, and I like Knoxville for his jacket stuff, but man, he's not a very good actor. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen someone else cast in that role, but yeah. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the film opens up and... You know, it's on their base. These are like National Guard and stuff. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting to see, you know, some of, one of the guys says, because these are a mix of guys from all over the, the states, really. Um, so in some ways, and I think you really have to look at this as a metaphor for for America's foreign policy, Vietnam, etc. If this film's timely today, I mean, this film could have been made today, you know, talking about um, some Americans that are in over their head in, in a foreign land, even though it's in their own country. Yes. Um, you know, I won't spend too much time banging that drum, but it is obviously there. Um, even to the point where one of the lines I found telling was T.K. Carter, who, if you don't know the name, you know the face. He was in so much of 80s stuff. He was uh, Wheels. Was it Wheels or Windows in, um, in the thing? The, the wheels. 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 And, uh, yeah, because Windows was uh, the other dude from The Warriors, I think. Yeah. Fox. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so he's in this, and the, you know him and one of the white guys are bantering back and forth, and you know they talk about the new South, mm-hmm. um, you know, just some of the race stuff, which, which you know, not overly prevalent in this, but uh, you know, it feels very much like a Southern film um, in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I've always loved about Hill, which I know any guy who loves Walter Hill films will say, is his knack for real feeling male camaraderie. Yes. It's it's what it's what he does best. Yeah, is interactions between if if you like the relationship in the Wild Bunch between the men, then you almost have to like all of Walter Hill's filmography because he, what he really well I guess you don't have to but the interaction between his characters everything from the Warriors to this to Forty Eight Hours to even Crossroads something that's a little bit more off the beaten path, mm. all the interaction between the male characters he gets right. 
Oh, totally. Nothing ever feels um, fake to me. Like it, it, I never have stopped and thought, man, he's really forcing that. That doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. It always feels so perfect yeah. when you get Walter Hill. Um, it was interesting to revisit this now, having seen most, if not all, of Hill. Well, no, not, not all. Most of his filmography. Um, and realizing that, in essence, this this is very comparable to The Warriors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even down to some of the characters, like Carradine's very much like the Swan type. Um, Fred Ward's like Ajax. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you certainly see that as well. Right. They're they're you know poorly equipped, um, much like in the Warriors, they have to improvise some stuff. Um, but yeah, he's just got a knack for men, male themes, and how men inter inter or interpersonal relationships or relate to each other. Um, the setting is great, like I said, it. Um, it it feels in you know it does that thing of the backwoods thing where it feels inhospitable, without being overly so. Right. Just enough that it, you you could see it being a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one one note about my son William. There's one when Fred Ward like he he uh, he breaks the four. He almost breaks the fourth wall. I mean, it's a close up on him. It's kind of like a POV shot where I think I can't remember who he was supposed to be, but Fred Ward's talking to him. So Fred Ward pretty much looks right at the camera, and William looks at him. He's like, "Why is he talking to us?" <laughs> so nice. you know, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the film, you know, they're they're on this mission and not mission this um, this uh, yeah, training mission, and they decide they're going to use some canoes, which is their first mistake, <laughs> and. Uh, well, Shit gets... I, I'll say he, he kind of foreshadows their, he does a little brilliant thing in, in my opinion. Let me just bring this up. At one point they're walking across the swamp mm-hmm. and they come across a trawling net. Yes. And instead of just stepping over it or anything else, they cut it. Mm-hmm. That disrespect right there is the beginning <laughs> of <laughs> what you know is not going to be a good thing. <laughs> and yeah. That's an, that's the little character moments he does that I think are always overlooked when people talk about Walter Hill films because yeah. he's setting up that these that well not all of them but the majority at least I think it was Fred Ward that ran into the net it was Fred Ward yes that this Reese character that Fred Ward plays is just a scumbag he's a he weekend is. warrior scumbag yeah and that little moment tells you everything you need to know about Fred Ward's character yeah he he is very much yeah a scumbag he's a shithead he doesn't care about anyone else. He is very, you said, you nailed that spot in Weekend Warrior Scumbag. Um, And it's this series of of disrespects that culminate in uh, the film really coming to a boil. Um, (laughs) Culminates in Sonny Landham coming out of the swamp. That's right, man. (laughs) And uh, yeah, poor Peter Coyote. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I like like Peter Coyote as an actor, it should be said. Yeah. It's his second time on the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like him too. Always, um, I'll always remember him for E.T. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which we're going to do the blue, I think, tonight. Nice, nice. Very exciting. Real, real name of, full name of Peter Coyote. You ready for this? I've heard it before, but go ahead. Rashmiel Pincus Ben Moshe Cohen. Yeah, he... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he switched it up for uh, for the stage name. Where <laughs> yeah. did he come up with Coyote? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I, re- I read a story about where he came up with Coyote. I can't remember it now, but no, I really like Peter Coyote, man. Uh, you he's, can, uh, he's got a nice humanity to him. Yeah, you he, can, he's almost, you know, he reminds me of almost as like a, um, oh boy, oh, it's going to bother me because Roop has a picture of of his his girl with her, with this actor when he, oh, when he was a baby, when she was a baby. Ah. Uh, 
Oh, Matthew Modine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he could be Matthew have, Modine's dad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nice. You can have this warmth to them, this humanity. Um, I, I like, too, that, you know, Walter Hill always, you know, in, in very much in a masculine way, he uses shorthand, but not to take shortcuts. Yeah. But he, he doesn't need to be overly flowery with things and with exposition. But, you know, I like that we kind of get to understand that these aren't soldiers. These are weekend warriors. These are guys that are doing it for, but they have different reasons. Some of the guys you can tell are, they're patriotic in in the worst way, and some of them are patriotic in the best way. Like yeah. the guy with the yeah. catfish mustache, like right. he he tries to be a bit of a leader, but you can tell it comes from a a, a sincere place. Like he's not yeah. trying to be a dickhead. He's he's trying to do right by the country and do right by what he feels is his obligation to the national guard. Yeah, he he has um, Les Lanham is that actor's name. Mm-hmm. He's probably the most overlooked actor in this film. I, I really yeah. like the Casper character. So do I, and I like. See, I like that all these characters have flaws, and like that's the thing. There's no white knight in this film, even your Carradine or your Booth, who um, are kind of they they focus a little more on them. But I'm glad that it's not like eighty percent them and twenty percent everyone else. This really is an ensemble in the truest sense because mm-hmm. um, you get time with everyone in the film. Like, and I, I also agree. I think Les Lanham really is overlooked in the yes. film, especially not being a, a face or a name like the rest of the cast yeah yeah yeah. he's really overlooked and uh he should be brought up more because he's really good in this film that i the way he plays that angle of i'm going to do my job what i'm trained to do mm-hmm. but i'm not real confident on what i'm doing but i'm going to show these guys i'm i mean it's just a real fine line and i think he portrays it like in, in aces i mean i just think perfect. he does a great job yeah perfect it, it feels real mm-hmm um, and uh, of course, the Powers Booth. He he actually sums up what his thought is on some of those guys when he says at one point to I think uh, Carradine that he you know he came from Texas or whatever and he's in Louisiana and he goes same you know some about the same story about being surrounded by a bunch of rednecks with guns. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. This you know this film because Booth again second time on the show for us. The other one, of course, the sweaty <laughs> yes. sweaty masses uh, or the sweaty man in the white suit. Mm-hmm. Extreme prejudice. Um, just the extreme comfort would have an amalgamate, <laughs> amalgamation of the two i like to be in extreme comfort yeah. um <laughs> yeah great line in that moment you're talking about where Carradine and booth are kind of talking about where they're from and and all that and Carradine says at least he's from he's from the area and he says something uh, something about rope or something and he says yeah there's a bunch of it's, again some a bunch of hillbillies you know all i know about is rc colas and moon pies yeah yeah which <laughs> uh, if you're from the south uh that's a that's popular junk food i mean that's rc colas and moon pies man I, I i got a friend of mine growing up literally that was his favorite thing to eat that's awesome he'd have a he'd have a warm and this is bizarre he would never cool his rc cola it would always be oh. room temperature he'd have an rc cola and he always had moon pies around always Good and Lord. We, we would play basketball in the heat of the summer and he would come out with these, you know, room temperature RC colas and eat moon pies. Now, for those of you who don't know what a moon pie is, it's essentially like a cookie uh, with marshmallow stuffing in between it, and uh, then uh, kind of like a glazed sugar coating over top of that. Health food. Yeah. So, what's interesting about it is try eating marshmallow stuffing in <laughs> ninety degree weather and drinking a warm oh. RC cola. <laughs> I feel my teeth rotting. It's counterproductive too. Oh. Yeah. Talk about the sugar crash, yo. And there's another great line, too, with Booth. When uh, I don't know if it's Booth, but it's somebody else. Um, where they say, you know, why are we following this dumb bastard or whatever? And uh, mm-hmm. they, they literally say, you know, because he's got stripes. That's, that's right. That's and, right. And that comes down to 
you know, this is in some ways, even though it's not the military, it still has the same ideas of the military. That's right. It it, it does uh, follow the same code or the same uh, hierarchy, as it were. Yes. Um, and I think one of the things it does is we, our, Walter Hill does archetypes, but they're fleshed out. You know what I mean? Like, right. We get to know certain kinds of people. Uh, we can we can try to you know not one note them, but we we get to know very quickly what they are. Um, but like I said, they're a little more fleshed out than you know the wide-eyed rookie from the, the from the south and the the Brooklyn Italian. Like we, it doesn't go to that level, but we do get to know what everyone is a little bit to a degree. But they're still very fleshed out. Yes. Um, and TK Crowder reveals, and I still don't know much. Like one of the character asks him <laughs> if he's serious or joking. What he was back home, and he says, "I was a, uh, a stripper sometimes and a drug dealer to high school kids." Yeah, it's fucked so, up. <laughs> just yeah, it was kind of a it was a funny line because <clears throat> he plays it straight, so you never know if he's real or not. But yeah, then. yeah. Um, one of the things Walter Hill does well here is the and the the best backwoods thriller films do this: the element of the unknown. They he really picks his spots with having the, uh, the the trappers or the hunters show up because this film could have been punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch, but it's not. A lot of it is these own men wilting under the pressure or near wilting under the pressure of their environment and uh, being aware of the fact that this threat could strike at any time, but rarely does it. It allows them to wilt under the heat lamp as opposed to being burned by the heat lamp. Right, right. Which is a smart thing to do. Um, what does that say? Oh, uh, never mind. Well, okay, yeah, so I said that. Yeah, kind of cracking the pressure stuff. Um, and, you know, one of the things I like, too, is that, you know, these men are over their heads. And some of them, you can see they try to apply their day-to-day, their day-to-day kind of um, logic or training to this. But it's just, they're not equipped, man. It's It's not the army, and that's the great thing. Like, this film would have been a different film. It would have been a misstep for Walter Hill to make this uh, a bunch of real, you know, like aliens, like, a, you know, Marines or something. Yeah. You know, it's better and the threat and the vulnerability is more prevalent because they are just normal guys who are in the National Guard. Right, right. Uh, all these guys have real faces. You know, one thing we always talk about missing in the 80s, there's no... There's no uh, I was going to say centerfold, but I guess if you get Playgirl, there is still a centerfold. There's no, um, you know, no real hunk in this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I guess as close as it comes, maybe it would be Carradine Keith or Booth. Carradine? Yeah, Keith Carradine or Booth, maybe. Or Franco, the James Franco guy, but yeah. <laughs> he's a bit of a wild card. I yeah. don't know. Booth, just to say, Booth looks so young in this film. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Car- Carradine had a, you know, he had a, he had a run. He had a run there where he was uh, considered a bit of a sex symbol. After Nash- yeah. after Nashville, yeah, no, no, for sure. Well, especially in Nashville because you got that song. What is it? Uh, I don't, don't, not, don't give up on us, baby. What the fuck? Anyway, that song, that great moment where he's singing that song, and the, the two women are there. But no, I could see that. But um, he's as close as it gets, I guess. But even then, it's not like he's you know yeah, total yeah. hunk, right? Which is nice, man. It, again, just feels real. But what doesn't feel real, despite his maybe best attempts, is Brian James is French. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 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 it's both awesome and, and and one of those things in movies I love when they oh, mis, yeah. miscast somebody, but they need a heavy with a charismatic face. Yeah, well, it's funny because when they see the dead rabbits, he goes, which means rabbit in French. It just, it's so, 
it's like he, like he would walk up and go rabbit you know yeah, it's yeah. uh it's funny but no it's good yeah brian james is, is good in the film it's always um uh oh man muddy rottweilers good times yeah that stunt man uh <laughs> he was fucked yeah, good yeah. good luck, you know, brave and stupid would be the words I would put together there. Oh boy. I don't know if anybody's ever uh you know, I'm a dog person and uh, uh I've never had a rot, but I've had lots of friends who've had one. I don't like them. And uh I've wrestled with them, uh, you know, played around with them and stuff. Uh super, super strong dog. Their heads are so big. Yeah, and uh they're a very, very strong animal. And um amazingly, uh they can be the sweetest thing, like like any animal. They can be the sweetest thing in the world, or they can be, you know, if you want to make it an awful animal or a mean ass bastard of a dog, you can do that. But um, either way, the stuntman in this, fuck that. I'd be like, dude, you know, can't we do like a, a fire burn or something, maybe? Yeah. Or I fall in the swamp because I'd probably feel safer. It would seem more controlled, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. These dogs were they were they were pretty they were into it, man. Yeah, they were running full tilt, man, in the swamp. They're covered in mud, and they're just. Oh boy, you know. Um, we get, uh, and of course, Brian James's trapper is is a one armed man. So of course, he has a large coat where we we've clearly t- strapped his arm <laughs> to his torso. Yeah, through the jacket, that old thing. Um, but it does pretty good. It doesn't ever seem distracting. Um, much like you know Fakir and everyone else, you get like the spike bed. Whenever there's like a jungle mouse trap. Mm-hmm. Someone always gets the bed of it, like either bamboo or wooden, like the bed of spikes swung onto them. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice. Um, pretty macho moment with uh, with a knife fight. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was very raw though. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good moment. It was a uh, you know, of course, it wasn't a uh, uh, what you call it. Uh, very well crafted knife fight, but I think I like that. I like. The, I do too. I like the. Uh, the simplicity of it and the way it looks like two guys who kind of know what they're doing, but really don't know what the fuck they're in the middle of right now. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Not many of us got knife fights on the regular. So yeah. it's, it's almost like hill coat the way he shoots. Violent, it's, it's sloppy, but very brutal and blunt. Right. Right. Um, the shooting conditions I have to wonder for this film shooting in the swamp. I think that would enhance the performances a great deal. Right. Because they're really in the thick of it in this. Um, yeah, I talked about how they juggled between all the men well, which I liked. Um, quicksand. <laughs> yeah, the old staple of quicksand. You don't see that enough anymore. No, it's like it's like the helicopter with the rope ladder. It just doesn't show up in films anymore. That's what always bothered me in uh, Gilligan's Island was when somebody would fall oh, in yeah. quicksand. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. It's all of a sudden in Gilligan's Island, shit got real. Yeah, man. I remember that. <laughs> and without fail, whenever there's quicksand, somebody's trying to get you out of quicksand, and they always grab the weakest branch. Yep. <laughs> it's like there's no strong branches nearby for yeah. quicksand. It's true. And you're going to be wearing a hat, and, the, and of course, your hat will be left on the surface. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I liked, and I'll bring this up again later, I love the scenes with Carradine and Booth. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're they're not always bromance scenes. There's times when they're they're kind of on each other's asses. But there's a great one we're talking about a wife back home. Yeah, and uh, and I love that quote. Well, she had a good sense of humor. I don't. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you don't get the sense from the Booth character that uh, you know this is a guy that's real happy. 
right even with his personal life but he you know he doesn't say anything bad about her but you just get a feeling this is a guy who's without saying anything he or really going into it i should say that he's a guy who you know has issues mm-hmm. maybe maybe drinking maybe uh bad jobs who knows he's fucked up something it seems yeah. Yeah, somewhere along the way, he's fucked something up. And actually, in a lot of ways, you get that from all these guys in some way, except I think maybe the Keith Carradine is a little, the character's a little noble, but... So is Les Lanham. Yeah, so is Les Lanham. And, uh, but you still get the sense that something's not quite right with these dudes. Yeah, no, you absolutely do. Um, Walter Hill has been known to call this a misplaced Western. I don't always agree with that. I do feel it's more of a Vietnam film than anything, but... The moment when it does feel like a misplaced Western to me the most is when two of the characters at the back end of the film show up in a, in a strange town. Oh, yeah. That feels like a Western to me. Um, and uh, that's a great moment because it's like you, you get that paranoia of strangers in a strange town. Are these people? I mean, you kind of know, but you don't know when things are, the, the shoe's going to drop. Mm-hmm. And it gets more tense and more tense and more tense. And then people start showing up and it uh you know it gets pretty pretty insane and there's some pretty powerful slow-mo there at the end but uh yeah a little heavy-handed with the uh the kind of parable or the maybe dichotomy of the pigs getting slaughtered of course that that i thought was a bit and i at that point i did cover i told you i covered william's eyes because yeah it's pretty brutal it is pretty brutal i don't know how to explain that to my son and (laughs) Everything else I can explain is squibs. It's it's movie magic. Yeah, that's not, um, that wasn't fake. I, that wasn't fake. So I, luckily, I'd seen the film before and I knew it was coming. So I covered his eyes. And he's like, "What do you? How can I see?" And I, I I didn't even know quite frankly how to say. Well, they're slaughtering an animal on screen, son. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how to explain that. So I just said, "You can't look." Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the actual. You know, I mean, of course, you know, you could put two and two together, and as a child, you could put two and two together and realize that you're eating an animal if you're eating the food. But yes. when you actually see the processing of the food, it, it can be disturbing. Uh, it was yeah. like me as a child. I think I saw I saw some film that had something to do with a slaughterhouse, and it's always disturbed me to this day. Uh, you know, so I'm one of these guys that's you know two things removed. I buy my meat, and the you know, so you can say what you want to say about that, but it is interesting. And heavy-handed, but it, again, I'll say if you are a uh, animal lover or a if you've never seen this film, just kind of give you a heads up because we always kind of do. You know, there's <laughs> there's an actual pig there's an actual pig slaughter, two pig slaughters, I think, in the film. So the pigs may have. I don't know if they were killed in a humane way and they had intended to. I don't know. Maybe there there was something where they had intended to be used for product and they were already dead i i don't know but then again i would say that they probably ate them on the set i would say because i would hope so yeah it it they those guys knew what they were doing yeah the way they yeah, killed yeah. them is the way you would kill a pig back in the day outside of you know using a uh sledgehammer or something real real uh, neanderthal like that but um the way they were skinning the pig and friend in my experience and being around people who skinned animals and stuff i mean it was they were they knew what they were doing yeah no for sure for sure. But like I say, you know, some people might be turned off by that. So just kind of give you yeah. a heads up. You know, sometimes that can make a break a film for some people. And I understand. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. But those are my notes. I want to hear what you got to say. Okay. Um, uh, let's see here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like I said, you know, we we'll love Walter Hill. Uh, Powers Booth looks young, but so does Fred Ward in a weird way. I, it's just so strange whenever I see yeah. him, you know, he, 
because he looks like he's sometimes when I see him, it's like he's been the same age his whole career. But I agree. <laughs> he does sometimes when I see me, and maybe it's the Blu-ray. I don't know, but these guys just really look young. Uh, the Blu-ray transfer is good. It's 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 good. It's not. I wouldn't say it's it's a mind blower. Oh, but it's just quite good. But it yeah. is quite good. The best I've ever seen this film look. I can tell you that. Uh, I know that's something we say all the time, and people say that with Blu-rays anyway. But it's true. I mean, this one. Well, there are bad Blu-rays, right? Yeah. This is a, this is at least a, a competent Blu-ray, if nothing mm-hmm. else, right? And it's good. It's above competent, but that's the thing. There's some Blu-rays that are terrible. Right. So. Right. Um, the film deals with you know some of my favorite subject matter, which is you know kind of man's inhumanity to its fellow man, and how we sometimes treat people, and and you know the things we do as people that are just inherent as as a race, as a as a creature, which you know we know what's right. Most of us do, at least we think we do. And then of course that can get perverted, or it can get jagged, and we can have somebody who thinks they know what's right and it, it becomes this thing where well i mean a good example would be like a dictator or something where you think you're doing something right but uh-huh. uh you know retrospect hindsight 2020 or whatever you realize that you're not um i find it interesting the canoe scene because it the the, the arguments sound like arguments that dudes would have with each other if they got lost you know one gripe i do have about the film is i felt like the thing to take it to the next level with the blanks was really forced in yes that's the one moment I thought, oh, man, you didn't really need to go there. Yeah. You yeah. know, they could have gotten away with cutting the nets and taking the boats and, you know, whatever. But the blank thing felt like, really, would someone do that? That seems a bit excessive. That's yeah. one thing I will say. Yeah, yeah. It seems a bit movie, right? It seems like a bit yeah. like something something to generate, you know, a movie thing. <clears throat> generate heat. Yeah, I got to generate some heat here. We got to get something going. We got to find a way for these guys. We got to find a way for Sonny Landham to get in this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I really like this theme. I mean, I like it's not, you know, it's not as heavy or as poignant, I think, as something like Deliverance, which is dealing with, um, you know, men, men and civilization and the animal that's underneath us all and, and all these type of things. That's dealing with some really, really heavy themes and some really, really powerful stuff. This is dealing with it on a more base level. But at the same time, I still find this subject matter just, just, it just, it's just something for me that, it's instant drama, and I know Hill himself. The name of the interview on the on the disc is uh, "Does he live or does he die?" or something like that. And uh, I think Hill said that that that's what Hawk said was drama. You know, well, does he live or does he die? That's drama. Yep, that's and, right. And that's it's it's interesting when you bring that kind of stuff up. And and these these little moments of decision making in the film are some of my favorite moments. Uh, this this little stuff, but I do have some issues too with the the. Um, the Alan Autry character because he really goes off the reservation quick. That that yeah, it became a bit ooh, with the red paint and even my even literally even William was like, "Why is he wearing red paint on his chest?" I know. And I was like, "Son, you asked the same question I'm asking myself right now." It's bizarre, and yeah. uh, he just goes off the reservation way too quick. I mean, I understand he's stressed and everything else, but you know, maybe they're trying to say that he, you know, he. Uh, Maybe he was already off the reservation. This just takes him over the edge, but <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I, I just felt like it was a little too fast. Uh, massive explosion, though, of a cabin. <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of dynamite. And- yeah, a lot of dynamite. Um, But, yeah, this is basically one of those type of films where it's like the acceleration of, you know, a snowball going downhill, and it's interesting. It's interesting. It really is. 
there is some weird style choices in this. I don't like the uh, the blend scene. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Where they're yeah, doing yeah. some exposition over top of them walking in the water. Mm-hmm. It really feels weird. It almost feels yeah. TV in a weird way. Yeah, very yep. strange. Kind of breaks the and he only does it the one time. So thankfully, it's not a motif he keeps going back to. But I didn't really care for that. But there's you know this film does look great, and uh, I think it has the right amount of grain for a film of its time. It doesn't look yeah. overly glossy, and it shouldn't because it is an earthy organic film because of its setting. Couldn't have been a pleasant movie to shoot. There's no way. No. If you've no. ever been in a swamp, and now I found out, you know, you look at this movie and you see that there's no leaves on anything except the willows and whatever. Fucking and, cold ass yeah, shit. Yeah, I think they shot it in the fall or something like that, which in Louisiana, the fall is still not cold. But, you know, you once you get in the water and you're talking about maybe oh. 70 degrees, 80 degrees, it gets cold after a while. And the movie yeah. looks cold. Mm-hmm. It looks cold. Oh, it does. It's late, late fall. Yeah. There, you see people's breath in a few scenes. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine this was above forty, forty-five for you guys in about, what, about ten, yeah, ten Celsius. You know, just not it's, fucking pleasant to sit in water for. Like you said, yeah. get in the water, then see how warm it is. It's interesting watching these films though from the early '80s and from some of these directors like Walter Hill and stuff, where you get this film that's one. It feels like one big chunk of it is one film, and then you get like the last ten minutes of this, which almost feels like another film. Yeah, and you start to see that modern directors like your Tarantinos and your Rodriguez's and these guys, uh, you start to see where they were influenced by these guys. Even if they don't do it on purpose, you start to see it. And really, if you think about it, the Wild Bunch is kind of that way, but that's just a big action set piece. It's still got the same motif going through it, the same through line, the same theme. But it seems like modern filmmakers have kind of cribbed this a little bit where they've kind of taken, you know, they've said, okay, well, this film doesn't end here. Let's just do this one other thing. And I think about this recently because, you know, Django Unchained was this way. I felt like the whole back end of Django Unchained was almost like a separate film unto itself. Yeah. And it's it's interesting when you go back and watch a film and you see this kind of stuff. So there's that. Uh, I like the town scene a little bit. Don't love the town scene mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like it's at that point, I feel like it's almost too much. But all of the themes throughout the film are pretty consistent, and it's just great watching the acting and stuff. And I love the weekend warrior, the reserve. This is like the dark side of those guys that went after Rambo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> God damn it, Earl! <laughs> but uh, you know, it's 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 good stuff, man. It's good. It's, it's it's a good film, and I'm glad we revisited. And I'm glad I got it on blue now, just like a steel pussy. So yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's hear your uh, rating and make a break and whatever. Make or break are the scenes between Booth and Carradine. I really liked them. Like I said, it never feels full on bromance, which which would be cool, but you know, it, it would be cliche. I think you know, um, uh, Hill does the perfect blend of of time for everyone on screen, and the perfect stuff where it feels real with these two guys who barely know each other. In under extreme duress, there's moments where they get along, other times where they're they're snippy at each other, which feels real. So I like those two scenes. Uh, or it's two scenes. Those scenes with those two very much. MVT is the cast. Uh, nice to see all these guys stretch their legs a bit. Um, you know, we like all anyone who grew up in the '80s knows most, if not all, these guys. So nice to see them together. And my score for the film is uh, it's an eight point five, man. Nice. Um, I'm a really big fan of Hill, as you are, as we will always say. Um, and uh, this one was kind of middle of the road for me in terms of his filmography. Warriors is still is always going to be king for me because I caught it at the right age, right? So it right. has that that combination of um, very very well made with nostalgia mixed mm. in. So that that's a, a one two punch that you you just can't beat. Right. 
Right. So, but but this film I always felt like was kind of middle of the road. I mean, I, I quite liked it, but now as a man, um, as opposed to you know college kid or whatever, it uh, it really works well, man. So yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good film, man. Nice. My make or break is the same uh, scenes between Booth and Carradine. I like them. They don't cross over into the bromance thing. And I agree with you. If it would have, it would have been fine. But it, it it doesn't really. You just get a sense of two guys getting to know each other. Which is uh, pretty nice. Um, MVT, the whole cast, I think it's what you said as well. Yep. Uh, it's really hard to argue with that. It's like, you know, the MVT of the thing would probably be the whole cast too if we ever review that. Although I do like Russell a lot in it. I mean, it'd be hard Mac- to. McCready's beard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to argue against the whole cast, but this is what it felt like. It felt like, a, you know, it felt like a casting like the thing. And uh, yep. I think they came out the same year. 81, yeah. Yeah. Well, so maybe uh, some of these guys just didn't get the roles in. Uh, well, I guess T.K. Carter was busy. Yeah. T.K. Carter was busy. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing back to back bro films. Yeah. Uh, my score's just a little bit lower than yours, 8.25. I had, you know, nice. do have some issues with the Alan Autry thing. Do have some issues with the back end. But uh, still, pretty good stuff, man. You can't, you know, it, this is a good, good film. And uh, yeah, Walter Hill, man. I was torn between 8.25, 8.5. Yeah. Yeah. As well. But I, I think the difference was the back end stuff for me worked a little better for me than it did for you. Yeah. All right. So that's our review of Southern Comfort. We hope Randy enjoyed that. <laughs> and and Mike Malloy, who yeah. when he when he saw that we were covering these two films, he's like, "Man, where was my invite?" So he wants <laughs> to be on the he wants to be on the show sometime soon. So yeah, good. We'll get him back on. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna take a short break. Come back and talk some big gun down. We'll be back right after this. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Into the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s driving porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Centuries is a guy and the Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. Back. <laughs> that, of course, from the big, the, the big gun down soundtrack. 
one of Sergio Salima's favorite songs. <laughs> As always, thank you to Greg. Yes, Bring I, the thunder. I could see Thomas Melian dancing to that, though. He'd be, he'd, I could too. He'd be into it. His Lee, little red toucan. Yeah, and Lee Van Cleef be looking at him like, you motherfucker. <laughs> All right. So our next film is The Big Gun Town, 1966, although I don't think it was released in America for some time after that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, unofficial lawman John Corbett hunts down Cuchillo Sanchez. Cuchillo, a Mexican peasant accused of raping and killing a 12-year-old girl. <clears throat> so, okay, uh, I guess I'll take the lead on this one. Um so I, you know, I, I chose this for several reasons. Uh, one, because I like it, <laughs> and another, just because you know, anytime to talk about Lee Van Cleef or Thomas Millian in the same film is, you know, you got to take advantage of that. You, you just can't, you know, pass it up. For real. And Sergio Salima made three really good westerns back to back to back. So this was the first one, Big Gun Down. Then he made Face to Face, and then he made which has uh, John Maria Valente and uh, and uh, again Thomas Millian in it. And then he made Run Man Run, which again has Thomas Millian in it. So uh, he liked working with Millian, even though they had a rocky relationship. <laughs> yeah, sounds a bit like uh, Kinski Herzog. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, I think there was respect there. Just you know, Millian, he he admits he was difficult back in when he was younger. So oh yeah, yeah, it's the way it goes. So yeah. So we got Salima, we got Van Cleef, we got Milian, and you got, you know, there's some other people in the film. I think Romano Pupa's in there. Yeah, what a fucking beefcake he is in this one. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> I was thinking of you when I saw him. I was like, oh, yeah, Will's going to love the Pupa beefcake. <laughs> Holy fuck, he brings it in this one. The stash, the fucking vest, no shirt. Pupo's never looked better. No wonder Castellari always used him. <laughs> it's like he walked right out of a fucking Peplum film. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. Totally. With that um, hair? Yes, yes. So this one, in the genre, this one kind of gets overlooked. Um, Lee Van Cleef, he's interesting. I, I think I put it on the Facebook group that he was, you know, forged in the realms of Hades to be in the Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he just has an amazing face. And on the interview on the disc, Milian even says that, you know, for him, when he had to do films, he had to do research. He had to work. He had to find the character's motivation. He said, you know, like something like with, with an actor like v, Lee Van Cleef, his face does 90% of the work for him. Totally. And, one, one thing, uh, go were ahead. you going to bring up the Marconi score? I was, I was, yeah. Okay, eventually. good. I'll, I'll wait for that then. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to, to sideswipe you there. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up here in just a few. Okay. But I'd, uh, the, uh, the Van Cleef is really great in this. Uh, he's got the pipe again. He's oh, yeah. <clears throat> got the great hat. What he really rocks in this, though, is he's got the, uh, the sheep wool uh, jacket. Oh yeah, and the, the thigh high <laughs> boots, man. He's really rocking the style on this one. <laughs> not even like knee high. He's got thigh high brown suede stripper boots <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with with a fur trim jacket, yeah. and of course his you know like you said his pipe and his his hat, and he always he always has that wide stance when he stands. Yes, yes. Oh, looks great. And uh, he, he's uh, he's got a great introduction in this film. Now this film opens with um, a very operatic. Uh, oh, yeah. Run Man Run, I believe is the name of the song actually. Um, yeah. and but it's very epic, and right from the get go, you get the vibe this film's going for. <laughs> and it almost sounds like Edda Del Orso, like yeah. that woman, this breathy singing. And- yeah, yeah, it's really great. It's it almost has a giallo slash western feel. It's a really weird yeah. mix. Yeah, totally. Especially with the uh, you know the hard harsh color opening titles. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it really has that kind of great feel this very epic feel so we open on uh three thugs walking up and they find uh, who they think somebody else and it's uh 
It's Lee Van Cleef himself uh, puffing on the pipe, telling Silva to fuck off. Nobody smokes a pipe like Lee Van Cleef <laughs> in Italian cinema. And uh, yeah. the great kind of pullback and kind of pan to the right to see the other character hanging in the tree. <laughs> Which it's funny because there's a moment, I don't know if it was my eye playing a tr- trick on me or not, but there's a moment because Slima loves to have his films where he has something in the extreme close-up in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, some, uh, excuse me, in the yeah, in the foreground, and then something you know in the background, right? Like the the, the something, the thing in the foreground will just be in the frame. But right. um, when you saw that guy hanging in the tree, I could have swore there was a moment when the guy in the tree like looks over as the scene's unfolding. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know if it was my eyes playing tricks or not, but I was like, man, did that guy just watch this whole thing unfold? <laughs> He's probably looking over too. He's like, that fucking Van Cleef has got charisma. Yeah, I want those boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it opens on that. And so some of the great spaghetti westerns always have a great opening. And this one has a pretty great opening. And just, you know, the way it establishes Van Cleef's character. I love the little, I love the three bullet thing. Oh, so much machismo. <laughs> he takes a bullet up. There's three guys. He takes a bullet up, puts, stands three bullets up on a log. It's just that thing of the mythic gunfighter, the machismo. Yeah. It's just it's such a fucking guy hard dick moment, man. I know you're smiling while you're watching. You're like, what the fuck? This guy's a badass motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just a great moment, you know. And uh, he he really is, you know. I guess you could say Nero, but I guess between him and Nero, it's easily. It, well, maybe it's not easily, but it. it I guess you could either fall one way or the other on who's the better spaghetti western actor, and of course, yeah, Millions in the discussion, and and um, I guess you could it's, see lot, guys like man. like Anthony Stefan and 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 Gemma, Giuliano Gemma and stuff. But I, don't, I think they're lesser than the guys we first mentioned. Yeah, first yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course, you know, you gotta you can't leave Clint Eastwood out of it. He only did three films, but they're seminal works, right? So. Oh. Yeah. It's 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 really interesting when you talk about the great spaghetti western actors. But as time goes on more and more, I start to realize that Van Cleef had something pretty special um that really just kind of made him a great spaghetti western actor. Like the genre was almost it's like, you know, the genre was made for him and he didn't know it yet. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It, it almost seems weird. And he he hung on to the genre really late. Like he worked in the genre into the 70s when the when the genre was just dead. But I think in a way that's fitting and it's poignant and poetic because he just, like you said, he was made to be in the genre. The genre was made for him. The way he, the the image or the um, the profile he cuts, yeah. the way he looks in a hat, the way he smokes a pipe. Um, you know, he looked very much like a black cat to me. Um, just, just perfect, perfect marriage of man and genre. Yeah. And from what I understand, I don't know if this is true or not, and uh, this would have been great to have Mike on for... Uh I know that Lee broke his leg or his knee riding horses in some of the, some films. I don't know if it was the Spaghetti's. I think it was well before the Spaghetti's. But I know he wasn't the biggest fan of being on horses. I know that, and maybe because of the broken leg. But uh, at least I think that. I don't. I, I couldn't be sure of that. But that's I what I remember hearing. Rec- I I recently started to up. I recently heard a great story about Christoph Waltz. Really, like he broke his pelvis filming Django Unchained. Yes, and it's in a great interview. That I post on the boards, and uh, that's why the whole um, wagon thing came into effect, so he didn't have to ride the horse. Yeah, yeah. And if if you've never ridden a horse before, for those of you who have never ridden one, it can be an intimidating venture. It's not it as easy as it looks on camera. No. 
they're 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 big creatures, and it's a bit nerve wracking when they start moving the way they want to move. Yeah, they don't move like a car. No, <laughs> you tell a car where to go. You tell a horse where to go, but if a horse says, "You know what? Fuck this motherfucker," oh, I'm gonna man. I'm gonna take you for a fucking ride. <laughs> You're at the mercy of this glorious beast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting watching uh, Van Cleef in this one because he he looks terribly comfortable on the horse to the point to where he's kind of doing the you know the kind of fancy trot thing where he's uh, you know kind of oh, yeah. roping uh, Cuchillo in and stuff. That that was some really good horse work. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, we do get pipes and monocles in this film. Now, oh yeah, <laughs> we haven't had. I don't know if we've had monocles too often, but they're always a. They're oh, welcome. Th- yeah, they're welcome, and they're they're so impractical. Oh, <laughs> so impractical is the monocle. <laughs> it really makes no sense. It's like the net as a weapon. It's it's really yes. weird, the monocle. And uh, but it but it looks great, right? It looks fucking great. And then Baron Baron von Schultzberg or whatever. That saying. motherfucker has Johnny Unitas hair, though. <laughs> Sounds like he came out of a Mel Gibbs, uh, Mel Brooks uh, fucking movie, <laughs> like making fun of Nazis. Like, oh, we got Baron von Schultzberg over here. <laughs> He has some great lines in the film, though. Some of the best dialogue comes from Von Schultzberg. Yeah. Um, I know that one scene where he's talking to Cleef and talking about what do you look at when you uh, when you shoot a man or whatever? What do you what do you uh, look at when you're about to kill a man? Some say they look at his hands or whatever, and he's like, I look at his eyes. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> he says something about like how because at that moment uh, your eyes betray you. Yeah. You either know it's going to be your death or it's going to be his death. So it's it's pretty it's pretty good fucking writing, you know. It's really good. And Salima's, this is a really well written film. There's a lot of quotable dialogue because the genre is not always known for quotable dialogue. It's it's a it's a genre of action, yes, right? Of, yes. of actions, men doing action. But there's some really yeah great quotes in this, and um, you know, even to see you know what's weird too is to see Van Cleef without a fucking hat on. I know, <laughs> and I, I love that look. He's got that. Yeah. Uh, you know he was going bald uh, in Scullet. his yeah he was going bald in his forties uh, and maybe 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 before then he was thinning out and stuff. But I've always liked uh, the kind of gentlemanly look when he drops the hat and he puts the suits on and stuff. Uh, Tails and yeah, all that. yeah, he's rocking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I, do, I think this film, I think what you see with this and this is on Blu-ray and it looks pretty damn good. I have to say, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. This is, I, I think, added. Uh, I think I told you that I read that it added like almost twenty minutes of footage. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because I know one cut I'd seen was like ninety-seven. It was somewhere in that range. This is an hour and fifty. Yeah, yeah, it's almost two hours. This is a a big western, so uh, it's pretty beefy. And uh, it's interesting if you end up getting this disc. I just want to warn people that because of some of the footage and stuff, I guess they put back in, or maybe not. They must have lost the English audio. If you if you like to watch your films with English audio, or if you like to watch these in Italian, I usually watch my spaghetti westerns dubbed because I just feel like that's what the genre was. Yeah, a lot of times they did the the actors did their own dubbing. Right? Yeah, so it works for this genre. You know, it's not like an Asian film, like a modern. It's not like watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in English. You know, why yeah. why are you on my Volkswagen? Hey, we're in a tree. No, yeah, but anyway, no, that's uh, right though. That's right. But it kind of works for this genre. But if you watch this film, you're going to be and most people who listen to the show, watch these kinds of films, would be aware of this anyway. So it probably won't bother them. And I told you it probably wouldn't bother you. But it, you know, it dips in. Sometimes it'll just go with Italian audio. It goes between them a lot. Yeah. So if you're not ready for that, it can be a bit of a shock. But I just want to kind of give people a heads up. It's like they put some stuff back in. And because of that, they, they put the subtitles in and stuff. And they, I guess they just had the Italian track. They didn't have the uh, English audio track, which is kind of biz- – I guess that makes sense. I mean, they probably lost it. And what can they do? I guess they had to find a Lee Van Cleef impersonator or something. 
So, yeah. which I'm kind of glad they just went the other way. You know, agreed. I like the uh, the scene, the irony of the scene with the 13 year old girl in the wagon. Oh well, yeah. Although I have to say that if he is, in fact, innocent of anything, that uh, Cuchillo always claims he's innocent. He's one of these bandits who's always in Sanchez the knife. Yeah. He's always <laughs> he's always innocent of things. Uh, it does seem like something's trying to go down there. Yeah, I wonder I'll be the wolf and you can be the, the whatever. Yes. Come yeah. on, I can see your feet. Yes. <laughs> and Lee Van Cleef's character in this takes a lot of punishment. The thing I like about this film is that it, you, you, it's, it becomes a thing. How is X person going to get out of this now? Yeah. And it it is, again, it's a real cat and mouse. This is yeah. another, two, both films this week are very cat and mouse. And this one is, and... Uh, yeah, Van Cleef's character is noble to a fault. Yes. And Cuchillo is very much about survival. Yes. And I think that was kind of commentary on, you know, a sympathetic towards a certain kind of uh, lawman in America, but also we have to understand the context of of, um, of Italy at the time with uh, socialist, communist uh, politics that were going on uh, post-World War II, the Red Brigade, and how oftentimes the Mexican workers were were put in to replace the Italian, the Sicilians, and the Southern Italian um, workers. Because you see some of the social commentary from Slima when you get the very decadent party with the Americans, and then it cuts to this dry, scorched, sandy um, uh, setting with the Mexicans. Right, right. Well, I think something's being said, too, about civilized life lee van cleef yes. the civilized life and he's not real creative mm-hmm. so he gets played a lot by the yes. the, the poor, hungry one the hungry man the poor man the swanson the hungry man <laughs> yeah yeah he really gets played off you know and he gets tricked a lot and i, I like that oh you know? yeah Me even too. even the silliness of the uh the snake bite scene yeah, I mean the him Milian <laughs> sucking the the, ven- the quote unquote venom is a bit homoero- a lot homoerotic. Yeah, it's not a bit; it's a lot. It's, it's it's a lot. It's very bizarre. And, and like, the way geez. and the way Lee Van Cleef looks at him, it's like, are you do you want to suck my ass? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a bit. I felt a bit uncomfortable because these are two kind of icons, and to see Milian on his knees sucking just above Mil- uh, Van Cleef's ass is just you know, a bit bizarre and uncomfortable, but. Oh, but man. it worked. It, it, it what Milian was going for, he would have had to do that. But he pulled it off. I mean, he's he's a very crafty character, but a little uncomfortable. Yeah, a little uncomfortable, a little strange. Yeah, <laughs> but gotta, you know, one of those priceless moments. <laughs> Ooh, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, it's it's one of those weird moments in cinema where you think to yourself, "Is this really happening right now? Is Lee, is Thomas Milian really sucking Lee Van Cleef's ass?" Yeah, am I, I watching this? <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things, you know. But um, it was like me watching The Great Escape. It's like, is that Bronson and McQueen in the same frame? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a little different than that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's so many great character faces in this. Romano Pupo, we brought up, but we've uh, there's ah uh, man, so many just kind of great faces, and not unless you're a fan of the genre, I don't think you're really going to know a bunch of them. Um, the widow's pretty great. Nieves Navarro, 
Susan Scott, a.k.a. Yeah. Susan Scott, the Spanish actress who worked with Ercolio in the Death Walks on High Heels, Death Walks at Midnight. It's nice to see her with dark hair because she's naturally dark, obviously. Right. She's a good-looking woman. Boy, I love Samisa. So as soon as I saw her name in the credit, Nieves Navarro versus you know Susan Scott, I, I had hoped she was um, – black hair versus blonde hair yeah she's in a couple of the ringo films uh a pistol for ringo which was uh it, well it's a pretty good film we should probably cover that at some point and uh the return of ringo she's also in uh i'm trying to remember what's the name of that fucking movie oh it's another uh well i don't know if it's yeah i think it's van cleef it might be brenner though it's one of the sabata films it might be brenner's the sabata film but i can't remember <clears throat> but anyway she's in quite a bit of that kind of stuff and she was in so sweet so dead uh, so sweet, so dead, so sweet, so dead, so sweet. That was so the dead. one we did from uh, Camera Obscura, the one with the uh, the death on the beach. You remember that one? Oh, <laughs> so sweet, so dead. The Farley Granger Giallo. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. we've covered a lot of films. I know it's easy to forget sometimes. So I, Brother, <laughs> we're we're up over five hundred films. I went, I was looking at that list the other day, and that Sloan film. I don't remember anything about that Sloan film. <laughs> oh, that was Sloan, and we did another fan pick two two um, ballots for the Pantheon <laughs> on that one. Sloan and that that Filipino one. Yeah, I don't remember anything about the Sloan one though. I can tell you that right now. All right, so I'm going to kind of cut this a little short because I know you got to go here in a few. Um, but this is very good spaghetti. I mean, it does fall a little bit short because I think it meanders a little bit into a mystery. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a payoff and stuff. The payoff's good. Yeah, uh, All that agree. stuff's good. I just think getting to that payoff, there's like a, about five or ten minutes in there that's kind of like, eh. You know, maybe, you, maybe that stuff didn't need to go back in. But uh, I do like the scenes between the Baron and Lee Van Cleef. Uh, the end is very Leone. <laughs> oh yeah, I oh, mean yeah. to the point to where Leone could have filed a lawsuit. Yeah, um, but that's okay. I mean that's what this genre is, um, and I think the interaction between Cleef and Milian is really great. It uh, is great. You're talking about two actors who have totally different styles. Oh, very, very much so. And it, it's really great to see them on screen together. And uh, this is a definitely a high recommend to buy if you feel like going out and getting and you got a region free player. This is definitely a, a big buy for me. And I was very happy to actually get this film. So. It's a German release, we should say, from Explosive yes. Media, Region B. Mm-hmm. The Germans, man, they're knocking. They've been knocking out of the parks with Spaghetti Blues, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a genre, in my opinion, that really needs, you know, just like Eurocrime and a lot of these genres. I know these genres we talk about, but I feel like they've been mistreated by most transfers they've gotten, and yeah. I feel like they need to be restored. These films are, are critical films for world culture, not just American culture and Italian culture, but world culture. Because yeah. spaghetti westerns take the basic elements of the western, and uh, they can be told you know across the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the film? I know you don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it, but yeah, no, that's cool. Um, you, we kind of went over some stuff. Uh, I love all the how how it's shot. A lot of low angles. A lot of. Um, the sky just kind of looming over everyone. Uh, this stuff where people are low, they're shot low, and almost, again, these characters are larger than life. Um, my wife pointed out the Baron looked a lot like uh, Calvin Candy meets Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> very Calvin Candy there. <laughs> yeah, very Calvin Candy. And then there's that other dude with the United Air in the monocle, which we talked about. Um, <laughs> some of the great quotes. Um, I love when uh, Van Cleef uh, clears off. He gets all the all the men he's trying to collect, like the bounties on. Uh, again, a very the bounty hunter is very. Can I ask um, a question? How come we've never reviewed a movie called Black Orgasm, uh, starring one uh, Susan Scott and Richard Harrison? <laughs> oh man, 
man. We got to do that. Black orgasm. Direct, wow. Directed by one Joe D'Amato. It's got to be a classic in the making. Oh, fuck. If I hope she's naked in that film with Richard Harrison. I bet, that, I bet this movie's fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. It probably, Richard Harrison, such a sparkless wonder. Oh, <laughs> Although I, I do have one in my pocket that I want to throw at you that I do think he's really good in. So, But we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Breaking up there. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll get to that when we get to that. That's all I said. You hear oh, me? okay. Yeah, it's a Richard Harrison film that I think he's. I think he has some spark in. Oh, good, <laughs> good. Um, I thought with that quote when the sheriff clears off the last of the wanted posters, he goes, "Oh, I never thought I'd see that wall empty." <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. And uh, another quote that the Baron says: "History preserves the light and cancels the shadow." Yes, kind of cool. Very good. Um, <clears throat> like I said, there's a lot of lines. I could have wrote down a lot of lines in the film. Um, uh, burr, 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 what do we got here? Oh, um, I like the uh, the barber, the setup of the barber. You know, it's a good a good introduction to Melian's character. But <clears throat> I like that barber chair where you you sit down and there's, there's like this hanging horn you rest your neck on. Yeah, yeah, kind of cool. <laughs> I've never seen that in films. Yeah. Um, the sheriff star on the garter belt. I like that little touch from the prostitute. Yes, <laughs> that was cool. Um. What else do we got? Oh, fuck. Million felt like Johnny Knoxville. Speaking of Johnny Knoxville with that bull. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> very bizarre. The film's very whippy in a few spots. <laughs> yeah, there's some whipping going on. Yeah. The one dude, when the, when the camera pans around the circle of men that are whipping, he looked like DDP with a blonde mullet, but it was just his blonde <laughs> shearling. <laughs> awesome, man. Oh. I, wish, I wish I had him in DDP. It reminds me, I think in Looper or somebody, or some, one of those films I watched this past week, somebody gives somebody a Jake the Snake uh, DDT on the ground. No way. Yeah, I think if you look, I think it was Looper. I think Bruce Willis gave somebody a DDT. Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, Lee Van Cleef's costume are great in this. Um, I, I just love how Million talks his way out of everything. Moments when this character, like he could be like Ted Danson in Creepshow up yes. to his neck, yeah. he would have convinced Leslie Nielsen to let him out. Yeah. And, and I love that about the character. Yeah, it should be said uh, for those who don't know, <laughs> Run Man Run is a, a sequel in spirit to this film. So, same with, character, Cuchillo Sanchez, the knife. Which, yeah, which I quite like. I have the blue underground disc, mm-hmm. so uh, we should get to that at some point. It'd be cool. Another thing about Million's character is how interesting it is that he cannot keep a shirt on properly through 99% of the film. Yeah, it ends up getting ripped, or it just it just doesn't stay on the way it needs to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, any man that shoot. Oh, there's a moment, a really great moment, a really great exchange with Van Cleef and a priest. And um, the priest says, "Can I see your gun?" And he quickly shoots the gun off. And he says, "It's been a long time since I've, I've held a gun and shot a gun, and you should stop running and blah da da." And uh, and he says, "I've been on the run." And then Van Cleef says to him, "Well, any man that shoots like you doesn't need to run." Yeah, yeah, really cool line. Um, it's like old, it's almost like Salima had saved up these uh, these Western things to put all yeah, in the script. Yeah, these little moments, right? Because there's so many really cool, great moments or great lines. Um, the one Mexican sheriff almost reminded me of like Bud Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big burly dude, you know, kind of beardy. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, you know, there's a jailbreak, and uh, it's kind of funny, but also kind of sad when you think about it. Um, when uh, Million's character is going to jailbreak, and he says, "Fortunately, my country's jail cell walls are made of dirt and spit." 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like that he sets that uh, gun on the stool too. I like that little moment. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, the I key, could go is it on. a gun or is it a key? It might be a gun. I can't remember. Mm, I think it was I a gun. Remember. I think it was a gun. Yeah. Uh, those are actually on my notes. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So my make or break is, uh, ooh, it's a tough one, man. I really like the finale to this one. It's really great. Oh yeah. But I'm going to go with the widow scene because it's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a weird little like section of the film <laughs> mm-hmm. that like uh, Milian happens upon. And it's like this like little world of like Sodom and Gomorrah going on. Yeah. Uh, Romano Pupa rock, rocking the vest. <laughs> the beefcake poopa. Oh yeah. Um my MVT for the film, I uh, could pick Cleef easily, but I'm gonna pick the camaraderie between Cleef and Milian. I really like it. I like the relationship. I like the way it in I like the way the relationship not ends, but I like the way it develops. Uh I like everything about that relationship. And I wish these guys would have made more films together. They do the straight man, kind of wild man thing without it seeming overtly so. Yeah. Doesn't seem try hard, you know. Yeah. Does it, do you think this relationship is better than Eastwood and Wallach, or is, is, no. that, is that a tough one to call? No, I don't. I think <laughs> Eastwood Wallach's a little bit better. Even yeah. I, oh, that's a tough one though. <laughs> that is a tough one. <laughs> oh man, that's tougher than I thought. Maybe yeah, I don't yeah. know. God, it's very similar to that relationship in a lot of ways, though. Yeah. Except yeah, Wallach is. is a little bit more <clears throat> deviant than uh, the uh, Cuchillo character, who actually, in a lot of ways, has a heart. So he does. He's a, he, exactly. Uh, my score for the film, 8.5 out of 10. This is a great spaghetti. Uh, yep. You should you hold it to yourself to check it out if you're a fan of the genre. Uh, definitely get a hold of it. Yeah, the big gun down. Great, great film. Absolutely. Uh, make or break. I almost went with the, the scene with the widow, too. It's just, just, just a bizarre sleazy, even <laughs> though it's, uh, some of it's in the subtext, but you get the sense that. Yeah, like she's, she slept with all those guys. Oh, yeah. yeah so that, that, that's how they work for. He's in on that, and he works it to his advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and but, it, it's it's a widow scene, right? Like the Black Widow spider. So she kind of entices Van Cleef a little bit too, or tries to, should be said. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Uh, she was underneath sucking his ass. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my scene, my make or break, just the scenes of Million talking his way out of like shit. He just, he has a knack for it. But a character that desperate and that hungry needs to do that. Yeah. So I really like that. MVT is the cat and mouse of the two leads. Yes. Um, it just works so well because it's, there, there's a respect, but there's also uh, a thing of they're just very different men uh, at different points in their lives. They come from different places uh, in every way, be it geographically, emotionally, mentally, philosophically. But the cat and most between the two leads is really great. And there is a respect there, even if they don't maybe agree with the way the other one lives. One thinks one's a fool, one thinks one's you know a bit of a scumbag. But... Uh, yeah, so good stuff. My score is a touch lower than yours. It's an 8.25, but again, a very, very, very good spaghetti that uh, everyone owes it to themselves to check out. Our scores are interesting this week. They're the, they're the different, they're backwards on both films. It's very interesting. That's right. Very strange. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right, so that is the big show. Uh, we're not going to have time for pleasantries this morning. We're kind of crunched here, but uh, I do want to say what we are covering next week. Um, the next couple weeks we're going to do, next two or three weeks, we're going to do one film a week um, for a couple reasons. One, we're cramming for year in. And two, we have an enormous amount of feedback. <laughs> yep. So you're going to get a lot of feedback, and uh, but you're still going to get a review every week. Uh, next week, we're doing BoulevardMovies.com. Um, as I said, this week was DiabolicDVD.com. But next week, BoulevardMovies.com. And uh, we're reviewing uh, a film that I don't think Will's seen. 
I know I've always been desperate to see uh, because of Adorf and just the acclaim of the film. Right. So again, time shifting PVR fucked me on this. Yeah. Okay. So this is will be uh, I think it's Volker uh, Volker, Volker Schlorndorf Schlorndorf uh, is filmed uh, the Tin Drum, uh, which is the Criterion Blue. I'm looking forward to talking about that with Will. See how he feels about it. It's a personal favorite of mine, but uh, it can be a divisive little number. So we'll see what happens. But that's next week. Tendrum and feedback. And uh, that would be everything, I believe. So it, it would be. We do want to thank Diabolic, DVD, yes. as we said, dot com, and over there for your genre needs. And just as a teaser, the two weeks after that, we're going to be doing an OMG shows. Mm-hmm. Little Franco Nero and a little Paul Nashi up in this piece. Yeah, I think we're going to do some uh, macaroni combat, aren't we? Uh, yeah. I think that's a macaroni combat film, which I don't think we've ever done any of those. No, yeah, a bit of a desert. Uh, actually, I don't want to give away too much. A bit of an adventure Not so much. Mm, it's in the umbrella kind of of a macaroni combat. It's yeah. uh, we adventure-y. Did, we did one that was kind of in the umbrella, but it wasn't very good. The Last Hunter. That's right, man. That's right. Well, I guess you can kind of consider um, with uh, your boy Sopkiv, uh yeah. The Rambo, uh, oh, what's the, it called? Tiger Sharp. Uh, yeah, fuck. Tiger Sharp, Blast Fighter. Blast Fighter, a little bit, kind of, you know, but you know, but then, yeah, that and the Nashi making his, his triumphant return since he was uh, a werewolf in Japan, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he stays away from the pigs. Yeah. Pig slaughters. All right, so that's our big show this week, guys. Uh, see you on the board, see you out and about, and we will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 